The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. Welcome back to part two of this episode. I really hope you enjoyed part one. Now let's get back into it. But you said, and you touched on even prior and in, in one of the emails as well that you sent us, was that the fact that you felt, I think how you put it exactly was, you felt as if your management went downhill for like a year, year and a half. What do you mean specifically by that? And do you personally feel like potentially that has had, had a correlation with the endometriosis or do you think it's just you were susceptible to it anyway? Yeah, so... um endometriosis at the moment is a uh they call it like an estrogen dependent condition so you have like an excess of estrogen but there's growing evidence that women with endometriosis have altered immune systems um and that it it's not necessarily an autoimmune condition but it is linked to kind of an abnormal uh kind of immune function so for me, I'm like, okay, there's, it, it does seem like there's a link there um, with diabetes also being, you know, an autoimmune condition. And I think they have linked um, that women with endometriosis, I like, don't quote me on this, <laughs> but I've, I've definitely read, um, you know, that there's links between autoimmune conditions, and endometriosis. So it, I think there's something there, but what it is, we just don't know yet. Um, in terms of my management and my blood sugars, um, so in a normal kind of menstrual cycle, you have all these, um, hormones kind of that do impact your insulin resistance, right? So the first half of the menstrual cycle, you tend to have, you know, you start with low estrogen, low progesterone and your estrogen rises. And during that time, you're more, um, sensitive to insulin then in the second half you tend to have higher progesterone and you're more resistant to insulin and um you know based on my symptoms before the surgery um of the you know like getting super emotional and stuff like <laughs> and like the it almost felt like a normal menstrual cycle just really heightened i think that um just like all the other symptoms of the menstrual cycle were heightened the blood sugar variability and the insulin resistance was heightened and i think a lot of women um you know a lot of other women experienced the same thing i think because of that it was just 
very, very difficult to manage the diabetes because you have to, if your, if your menstrual cycle is kind of like changing your insulin resistance that much, it's just impossible to wrap your mind around. And that's what happened with me. So I went from like a really like perfect spot on management and I was doing all the right things all the time to kind of, you know, within the space of probably less than a year, going to like a much lower time in range. My HbA1c was, I think like, I think at its highest point, it was, I think the cutoff is 48, isn't it? And it was one below the cutoff. So it would have been around 47, which I know for a lot of people is like, they'd be happy with that. But it's just the fact that it was so much higher from what I was previously. Mm. And, um, you know, let's say I had probably on average like a 70% time in range. That wasn't 70% in range and 30% like 10 to 14. That was like 70% time in range. And like, like a good portion of that 30% was like 16 plus. Like okay. it was like roller coasters every day. Um, and it did lead to me getting um, like stage one retinopathy, which I think is almost unheard of getting that within, you know, two and a half years at that point of diagnosis. So it definitely made the diabetes management a lot harder. Um, and luckily since the surgery, since, you know, the pill is now regulating my hormones and my menstrual cycle, and it means I don't have these massive swings in hormones. And it means that, um, you know, I'm not, hopefully if the growth of the endometriosis is slowing, it means that I also don't have this kind of chronic inflammation in my body to the same extent. And this, you know, this like, full body response to trying to deal with the endometriosis that does mean that um it's a lot more stable my blood sugars and a lot easier to predict hmm. yeah it's something that's i would imagine most people are aware of but not to maybe the the extent of what it actually is in reality and it's something that we were we were touching on last week just inside the program that we have and like we were not laughing about it in a funny way, but laughing about it in the sense that like diabetes is a very complex and intricate condition, like male or female. But we were quote unquote laughing, saying that like, geez, male diabetics just have it so much easier <laughs> because because the reality of it is female diabetics just go through like potentially very drastic and dramatic hormonal changes on a monthly basis, which inevitably makes it so much more difficult to manage, but also as you said earlier on, Maya, so much more difficult to predict what's mm -hmm. going to happen because there's yeah. not necessarily a, a precise or predictable pattern or trend to like your your estrogen or your progesterone releases and how that's going to impact your blood sugar. So again, not laughing because it's funny, but laughing because like males just have it much easier with, with diabetes. That's yeah. just the reality of it. So like how Maya, how does your management look on a monthly basis in terms of what, what sort of adjustments do you make? Because obviously you're aware of the fact that like your, your period and these hormonal changes have such a drastic impact, maybe not so much as they used to because you're now on the pill and it's maybe more predictable, but how does your management change? Like, are there certain periods in the month where 
you take more or less insulin? Are there times where you adjust your basal? I know you're on an insulin pump now. Are there, are there times where you adjust your, your insulin to carb ratio? Like how, how has this or how does it impact your, your management on a monthly basis? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, so I am on a pump now, but also I'll kind of, I'll think back to when I was on injections, which was the lead up to the, I was in the lead up, um, to the surgery. So I can kind of answer from both angles. Um, so at the moment on my Omnipod, everything's manual. So some pumps, they will automatically adjust the basal rate, but for mine, it's still manual. I still need to program it but I have different programs for different weeks in the menstrual cycle. So I have one program for like a normal baseline. Um, I have a premenstrual kind of program for, uh, you know, like a week before my period, I guess. And then I have a program for like the luteal phase. Um, and that one's the highest. And then the premenstruals like a little bit lower, and then the basals like comparatively very low. Sorry, the normal ones very to very low compared to the other two. Um, and then again, you know, when I'm eating, the the pill it does stabilize the insulin requirements a lot. So it it's kind of good and bad because it makes your total insulin requirement higher in general because it's an estrogen and progesterone pill. So in general, you have higher requirements, but they're more stable. So let's say, you know, it might vary between one unit of insulin for every eight grams of carbs to say one unit for every 10 grams of carbs. It's kind of that level of variance. When I was on the pens and before my surgery and before I was on the pill, obviously it had to be a lot more detailed. So I had a running... Um, diary that would be updated every month continuously um and essentially that would be you know week one week two week three week four and it would um lay out my different kind of levomir and uh like uh what's that? nova rapids like fast acting <laughs> um requirements so you know and I would split it into morning, lunch, and dinner as well. So, and then I'd also have pre-bolus times there. So having that laid out visually just means that you're not always having to hold it in your head. And if mm. you're confused, you can kind of open it up and you can figure it out. And, you know, it might not be perfect, but it's at least better than nothing. You know, it's, it's at least there as a ballpark. Um, and I was still, even with those challenges, able to, maintain you know 70 percent time and range so even though it wasn't uh you know an easy time for me that really helped the other thing that i think every woman should do i'm wasn't really able to because i mentioned that i have an irregular kind of um like cycle but um for women that may be a bit more regular definitely just keeping like a period tracker so that you can predict when these weeks of higher insulin requirements or whatever are going to happen. Um, it means that you can preempt as opposed to just getting to that time in the month and suddenly your requirements change. It's better to try and preempt it so that you're not having to deal with highs and lows every month. 
Yeah, 100%. I appreciate you going into that detail because it is something that a lot of people I would imagine struggle with. And I suppose, which leads me to my next question, Maya, around even though now, because you have obviously the the different basal rates or, or settings in your pump kind of ready to go for higher resistance, lower resistance, normal, or like normal resistance or the normal amounts that you require. Do you, and as you say yourself, you preempt it. So would you input that increase in basal because you're expecting the rise, even though you haven't yet seen the rise? And I suppose what I mean by that question is oftentimes people are kind of, are like apprehensive or they're the, the thought of increasing insulin requirements when they don't yet 100% need it can be kind of daunting and kind of scary at times. And like how I would relate that, it's like, I, if I eat a high fat or high protein meal, I will take an additional dose of insulin roughly an hour, an hour and a half after, even though my blood sugar isn't high yet. And there's always that bit of kind of like, oh, like, do I, do I need yeah. the insulin? Because I'm not yet high and I'm not essentially eating more food, but I'm still expecting the spike from the previous meal I had. So is it something that you kind of had to gain confidence with increasing those insulin doses or even decreasing those insulin doses yeah. prior to the this expected change? Yeah, so definitely definitely relate to what you're saying because as much as you can know that you need to do something or know that um you know know that it's going to be like a change is going to be required because you're not quite at that level yet where you <laughs> have seen you know the thing of needing the change it's like well am i going to just end up taking too much insulin and hypoing or whatever and then on top of that with you know periods it, it's there's an inbuilt kind of variance there where, as I mentioned, even for women with kind of regular periods, it may be like a one or two day window different each month where they, um, so it's not set in stone basically is all I'm trying to say. Um, I think a lot of diabetes management is just about thinking to yourself, what is the worst that can happen? So if you don't change your requirements, you know that there's a chance that you're going to have really high blood sugars or really low and you're going to feel crap. Um, and it feels like a neutral option because you're not changing anything. But actually, just because you're not changing anything, it doesn't mean it's neutral. It just means that it's what you were doing previously. But the neutral thing actually would probably just go to be, go with, you know, what's happened in the past and like the historical kind of average because that's what all the evidence, you know, if all the evidence points that you're going to need more insulin today, the neutral thing is to really go with that. Um, mm. I'm not saying don't proceed with any caution at all. I'm just saying that in as much, you know, as you can predict it and as much confidence as you can have, you know, try and work with what you have. Don't like work against yourself by being scared to make a decision. Mm. I guess as well with the luxury of having a pump, um, you at least can kind of undo the change. It's not like Levermere where you take an extra dose and then you're stuck with it all yeah, day. Yeah, you're locked so. into that for like 42 <laughs> hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. But what I will say actually on the whole pump thing is um, I haven't actually explicitly said. Oh, sorry, but, sorry to interrupt. 
I'm thinking of Traceba, just to clarify. Traceba is much oh, okay, longer, yeah. like 42. Levomir is like 24 hours, just to clarify. Yeah. So people aren't, aren't <laughs> like, you don't know your insulins. You don't know your insulins. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Um, no, I was just going to say on the pump, um, me having endometriosis was actually one of the reasons I was put on a pump. So if you, what you know, I know that everyone has their own way of managing things and, and pumps aren't for everyone, but a lot of people think that the only criteria for a pump is, um, you know, that you have to have kind of unmanaged blood sugar levels, but that wasn't the case for me. You know, that the highest one I had was still one point under the threshold of what it should be. Mm. So um, if you are a woman that really struggles to just manage their blood sugars with their period or um, even anything else, you know, any additional complication in life. Um, I also had that I work like very long hours and that was one of the reasons why I need a pump and like all this other stuff. So yeah, just to put that out there because a lot of people don't know that. Hmm. Obviously, Maya, we, we both know that diabetes is just as much mental and emotional as, as mm-hmm. it is physical, probably more mental and emotional than it is physical. How have you dealt with all of this? Because I know you're still relatively new to diabetes in itself and the grand scheme of things, you know, you're what, four-ish years, that's still pretty new. And then to be dealt these cards and to have to deal with stage one retinopathy, to have to deal with the pain that you've gone through, the uncertainty you've gone through, now having endometriosis, like how have you dealt with this? Yeah, so um, the mental thing, that's a really good question because the mental part was really... um, really difficult and it is difficult when you feel like you're doing everything you can and you're still not getting the results that you want and you feel like you deserve and i follow a lot of you know diabetic people on online and it's so helpful but it can also be depressing (laughs) when you feel like you're following their advice and you're doing what you can and you're not getting the same results um like especially for me as a perfectionist um what I did actually was I um, I redefined good diabetic management to myself. Um, so, you know, we all have a tendency to say a specific HbA1c or a specific time in range or whatever, whatever. It, that's the definition of good management. What I had to say is no. The definition of good management is getting eight hours of sleep a night. It's going to the gym as often as I can it's meal prepping it's you know eating lots of fiber and lots of protein and fats with the carbs and it's making sure that that I carb count meticulously and that is what good management looks like and unfortunately I was in the position where even doing all of those things my numbers were still wild and I had to say well no I mean, I should celebrate those numbers. I shouldn't kind of commiserate them because they are the result of me putting in the best management that I possibly can. And look, if my body's going to punish me further and say that the diabetes isn't enough, I'm going to have these extra things and Mm. they're going to completely throw off the diabetes. That's completely outside of my control. When I started seeing things that way, ironically, the numbers do get better because you're less likely to do a impulsive uh you know <laughs> bolus or an impulsive correction dose you know, or... hypo treatment yeah yeah, yeah. Or, yeah yeah exactly 
Yeah, I like I love that redefining what man good man quote unquote good management is to you, and that kind of ties into the fact that like number one, there's no perfect diabetic out there, but number two, your management can and will change depending on like what's going on for you within within your life at any given stage. And obviously with you dealing with all of these things internally, that's obviously having a dramatic and drastic impact on blood sugar. It's, I would imagine, only creating more stress for yourself if you have an expectation that my management should be X number with all this stuff going on. And it should be the same as if the stuff wasn't going on. And mm. it's, it's not going to happen. And as you say, if you're taking that responsibility and saying, look, I'm, I'm eating good food. I'm trying to train if I can. I'm trying to sleep well if I can. I'm trying to drink plenty of water. I'm aware of all these different things. But of course, there's internal hormonal changes that essentially I have no control over. Your yeah. management is inevitably going to be different. So yeah. love that frame of redefining what management is to you. And it can be redefined during different periods of your life too, which is, yeah. I would imagine, quite effective just for like, yeah, yeah, know, for sure. mental sanity with, with the condition. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, we're all going to have times in our life, like even, you know, back to what you're saying about, you know, men versus like laughing at how it's maybe a little easier for men or, you know, having endometriosis or for some women PCOS versus not or whatever, you know, at the end of the day, we all have diabetes. We're all unlucky in that sense. And, you know, a little bit more of bad luck or more difficult management here or there, it it's, it doesn't take away from the fact that, like, the baseline is that, you know, you have diabetes and you have to manage your blood sugars. And it's a huge mental burden, kind of regardless of what your situation is. So if you start focusing and you start obsessing over, oh, it's so unfair that, you know, I have endometriosis. It's so unfair that this and this and this, then those periods of your life that are more difficult, which are inevitably going to happen, you know, they're just going to be made even harder mm. and even more difficult to deal with. So, um, so yeah, no, I agree with what you're saying completely. Mm. Yeah. I think even as you and it's interesting because you've touched on like preempting the physical changes and preempting the fact that like these hormonal changes are now expected at X time. So I likely need to increase or decrease basal, whatever it is. But also you're, you're touching on kind of preempting an emotional response yeah. to like <laughs> being stressed about these things or being fed up or being upset about these different things. And it's something that I think is just as effective. It's like preempting an emotional challenge or preempting a mental challenge kind of helps give you the ability during the challenge to say, look, I was kind of expecting this thing. Like, how can I, how can I do something to keep my head above, above water in a, yeah, in a for strange sure. sense? So how, how do you feel overall? You are now my, I have to say, I've really enjoyed this episode and it's something that <laughs> we haven't gone through in massive detail before. So I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this in such detail, because I know that there's a lot of female diabetics that listen to this. There's a lot of parents that listen to this who have young daughters potentially with type one diabetes. So it's definitely going to shed a lot of light on this and, uh, you know, give them a lot of hopeful clarity around something that seemingly may be quite difficult to even understand or, or spot initially. So we appreciate it. So how, overall, how are you feeling health-wise these days? 
Yeah, no, I mean, thanks for having me on. And um, I have really enjoyed talking about it. And I do hope that it helps, you know, other women out there. Um, like you mentioned, for me, actually, I'm in a really good place, like a much better place than I have been. Um, my, I, you know, I mentioned detaching from the numbers, but the numbers are back in a spot that I feel comfortable with. And just generally you know, my health and my outlook on my health and everything is um, back where it needs to be. And, you know, it's an additional challenge that, that I need to focus on and I need to work towards, but, you know, that in itself can be rewarding. So, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely in a good place as much as, you know, as much as I can be. And I've enjoyed the challenge as much as I can, even though it's uh, it's not always enjoyable. Why do you think you've enjoyed the challenge? I don't know. I think there's something wrong with me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate to that. I can relate to finding some sort of strange, sinister enjoyment out of a challenge. I can relate yeah. to it. Um as as weird as that sounds. But Maya, you should be proud of yourself and how you how you carry yourself and how you articulate these things in such detail. Um in such a positive light, even though it is a very obviously challenging thing to go through. It's uh amazing to see and appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Thank you very much. And I'm expecting just as good a response from this episode as more more of a response from this episode than the, the first one, um, because I know people love the first one. And I know anybody who listens to this episode definitely has listened to the prior. Um, if you haven't listened to the first episode, it's episode 65. So we're going nearly three odd years ago, a long time ago. Wow. But Maya had just... Maya, how long were you diagnosed during that episode? Was it like a couple months or a few weeks or something? Uh, I think months. it was slightly longer. Yeah, a few, maybe, maybe approaching a year, maybe. Okay. I think maybe much, a bit less than yeah. that, but yeah. Much more fresh in your mind. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I definitely listen to both episodes because obviously you'll see Maya's perspective with basically a year in compared to four years and all these different challenges that she has gone through, which you're dealing <laughs> with very well, I have to say. So Maya, again, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah. And I will say, actually, I, um, if anyone, you know, wants to learn more about kind of women's health specifically with diabetes, um, I've started a TikTok channel where I just talk about how I manage both endometriosis and uh, type 1 diabetes. And there's also, um, you know, I've got kind of people in my life with PCOS as well. So there's some content there and it's just, it's very much from the angle of women's health, but obviously the blood sugars are a big part of that too because they're a big part of my life so that's um it's on tiktok it's called chronically tasty it's a little pun because I love you it. know it started as kind <laughs> of a recipes <laughs> recipes channel so nice yeah one. we'll uh we'll link maya's tiktok and any other social channels below so you can check them out love the name by the way chronically tasty. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank maya, you. listen take care of yourself and maybe we'll we'll get you on another two three years to see what's going on for you at that stage all right perfect <laughs> Listen, take care of yourself. Chat to you soon. Thanks so much. Another massive thank you to today's guest. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out their social channels and links that we've included in the episode description. If you enjoy the podcast, which I'm guessing you do because you listen, be sure to rate, 
subscribe and share. It really, really helps the podcast get heard by more people when you rate, when you subscribe, and when you share. If you feel that you've been able to benefit from it so far, likely someone else would be too. If you have any questions or stories for myself and Graham, please do not hesitate to reach out. We absolutely love getting in the email stories and questions. You can do this through theinsalonepodcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more from me, stay connected or even work with me and other people living with type 1 diabetes who want to be fitter, healthier, and happier within my type 1% better online program, you can message me directly through Instagram or you can fill out an application form through the link in the podcast description. And as always, another massive thank you to you for your time and your ears. We greatly appreciate you showing up each week, time after time, ready to gain knowledge and confidence around your diabetes management. So until next week, have a good day, have a good week, look after those blood sugars, and I'll chat to you soon. Take it easy.